I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth in Mission. Last week, Dr. Jorge A. Caballero went viral when he tweeted that he was leaving Stanford University, where he was a clinical instructor in the anesthesia department. He says he left because while he'd once been on a successful career track, Stanford had withdrawn support for his work and repeatedly passed him over for advancement since 2014. That's after he raised concerns that the university's residency selection process was racially discriminatory. Caballero is a Mexican-American physician, engineer, and health equity advocate. He says he was inspired by journalist Nicole Hannah-Jones. She's a New York Times reporter who won a Pulitzer Prize for the 1619 Project, which motivated a right-wing campaign against teaching about racism in America. It led to a wealthy white donor objecting to the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, giving her tenure at the journalism school. Following six months of controversy, Hannah Jones announced last week that she was turning down the job at UNC. Here's Hannah Jones making her announcement on CBS This Morning. I've decided to decline the offer of tenure. I will not be teaching on the faculty of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. It's a very difficult decision, not a decision I wanted to make. Uh, And instead, I'm going to be uh, the inaugural night chair in race and journalism at Howard University. Dr. Caballero says he struggled for years as Stanford sidelined him, despite its public support for multidisciplinary research, his specialty, and also despite the university branding itself as a beacon of multicultural excellence. He says Hannah Jones's defiance against a historically white institution pushed him to make his own move. Jorge Caballero joins me now to chat about his decision why he was so inspired by Nicole Hannah-Jones, and what he thinks Stanford can do to retain non-white doctors like himself. So, Jorge, you've had a very impressive career, and you tweeted your decision to leave Stanford, and it went pretty viral. And Nicole Hannah-Jones even replied to it with her show of support. Why did you decide to share the news in that way? I don't know what I expected in the first place. I I just wanted to, to share my story uh, and, and in hopes that it might resonate with other folks, in the same way that it, you know, that um, that Nicole Hannah Jones's uh, story resonated with me, and it it certainly seems that way. It seems like it seems like there's you know that that there's more to this than just uh, an isolated incident in in journalism or in in medicine it i'm i'm getting direct messages from folks in other fields in education and you know certainly other doctors that are you know uh, both at stanford and 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 across the country that have been feeling the same way for quite some time and the common thread seems to be that there are that there's a need for institutional level change as much as as we as individuals want to be part of that change, there comes a point where where enough is enough, and mm-hmm. and you have to step away uh, in order to you know to be you know to to be more impactful. And we know how long uh, it takes to train and become a doctor. And I wonder for you, you're Mexican American, have issues of representation and diversity always been a challenge, including early on in your medical training? Absolutely. I, I mean, that's one of the things that sort of kept me, uh, you know, sort of kept me fighting for as long as I did. It, it's a bit of a survival, uh, guilt, so to speak. Right. I mean, I, I, I got this far, how can I think about stepping away or you know, how can I think about 
how can I how can I justify to myself putting you know sort of putting my own mental interests, my own mental health, and my own um, you know sort of my own sanity ahead of the greater good? In reading through uh, Nicole Hannah Jones's statement, it became pretty clear that. Uh, much like when you're on an airplane and you know you're instructed to to put on uh, your mask before you put on uh, you know your uh, somebody that needs assistance, um, that's that's where we are at the moment. You know, the, there's only so much that those of us that are in a position of leverage of of uh, of some influence can do, and the only way that we can really move beyond where we are now seems to be to take a step back and to really sort of create that void and that space that you know, that will make it painfully evident what it means to you know to lack that diversity and lack that in- inclusiveness um at uh, at these institutions mhm you mentioned survivor's guilt and i wonder what did that look like for you? What did it take to survive in an institution that is historically white and with low representations of people of color? What what do people need to understand about how you had to survive in that environment? It looks a lot like just keeping yourself busy, mm. just working endlessly, regardless of what else is going on. Mm-hmm. And that's you know, uh, partly a defense mechanism, and partly it's it, it's it sort of comes with the territory, or you're sort of lulled into thinking that it comes with the territory. You're being asked to you know to serve on various committees, and you're asked to to review uh, to sort of pre peer review articles, and you're asked to um, to to do other things that really don't contribute to your professional advancement because they're not valued in the traditional sense. Um, but at the same time, you've still got this traditional list of, of benchmarks and of things that must be done in order to continue to advance. Mm-hmm. And so I found myself just literally working. I don't think I've worked fewer than 60 hours a week for over a decade. We'll be right back. You can support Fifth Emission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. I know that one of the main grievances that you shared about Stanford is the way that medical students are chosen for residencies at hospitals. It's a ranked choice system known as the match. Can you quickly explain what the match is and how it works? Right. So long so the very the, the simplest way of putting it is to just say that it's a lot like the NFL draft, if you if you were to think <laughs> right. about it that way. Um, if the NFL players had uh, had an option to sort of write down a ranked order list of which teams they wanted to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then beyond that, there's an algorithm that, you know, that assigns, uh, assigns people, to, you know, to their spot across the country. But what ends up happening is, is that behind the scenes, you have a lot of game theory going on. You have... Uh, program directors and and chairs of departments jockeying with each other, and they are competing against each other for bragging rights. And what ends up happening is the 
sort of the notion of desirability or what makes a good resident is uh, is what ends up driving the rank ordered lists for these programs, especially the top programs. If the desirability is ultimately a subjective notion that is defined by whoever's in charge, uh, meaning the chairs and the program directors, then this a system that is promoted and marketed as a as a mechanism for fairness and uh, equality actually becomes a tool of inequality and bias. And in your tweet, you share that you pushed hard to support a BIPOC medical student who you thought deserved to be at Stanford, but you know wouldn't have matched through the ranked choice system. And you suggested openly that the process was racially discriminatory. And you said that speaking up about that changed everything for your academic career. How can you be sure of that? What happened? Once I spoke up about uh, about what I perceived as a discriminatory selection process for residents, the you know, it felt like the, the rug was pulled out from from underneath me. I no longer had the I, I never got full answers to questions like who should I go to for this particular you know for this particular document that's required for my grant proposal. And I'll be honest, and this isn't my story to tell, but I'm not the only person that experienced that Mm -hmm. at Stanford. And I know this because I know personally of other instances. uh, And in one particular case, it was actually speaking out on behalf of a a female candidate. At that point, I mean, you kind of have one of two options. You either accept your fate and that you're going to be under the thumb for the rest of your time there until there's you know there's some sort of change or you keep pushing for change and you um and then there's like sort of a third option which is you try to make yourself undeniable right and sort of that's the thing that you know that we're always told it's like make yourself undeniable so that you know that they can't you know that they can't stop you from making progress so Jorge what are things that you think Stanford can do immediately to address these concerns that you've raised? Well, you know, the first thing that they could do is to adopt the recommendations in a in a commission uh, on diversity and inclusion that were just issued uh, in their entirety. Um, my concern is that we would water them down to the point where they're not uh, as impactful as they could be. And beyond that, Stanford is in a position of leadership and and they could, if they wanted to, push back against the match and really push them to critically evaluate their role in amplifying biases and work with them to actually produce a fair and equitable system. And you're advocating that institutional change needs to happen. What would you say to other aspiring doctors who want to enter these institutions to build their careers, and they're going to have to face some of the challenges that you've just described. What is your advice to them as someone who's leaving the institution? Well, I would say that there's uh, that they are going to experience the feeling of feeling undervalued. But it's important for them to never let that or never confuse that for being, uh, you know, for, for not being valuable. They are valuable, and 
if there's if there's if there's one takeaway, one thing that I regret from my entire experience is is having waited as long as I did mm. to um, you know to cut the cord, so to speak, and 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 move on. I should have done this years ago, and I should have you know, and I should have put this out there years ago. I think that there's you know that that we would be in a different place if um, you know if if I had the courage to do that back then. I would imagine that would feel really empowering to speak out in the way that you have. Is there also a sadness to yeah. the decision making as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's tough because I don't know if I'll get to practice medicine again. I'd be lying if I said that I didn't enjoy it. I'd be lying if I said that I didn't miss it. I miss that personal connection, but I know that I know that short of transformative change, it'll be unlikely. Mm. You've made such a hard decision to think about what you want to prioritize in your career now, and you have also earned this ability to have some agency in your career now, which is empowering. What will be the most important thing to you as you plot the next steps? It'll be the ability to have um, to have influence and impact. I think of legacy as three components: um, influence, impact, and power. I think I wasn't born into a, into a family or into a situation where I can realistically exert power mm-hmm. and have and leave a legacy that way. Mm-hmm. So everything I do is focused on. On impact and influence. So the you know, sort of the next role, whatever I do next, is going to try to maximize the skills and the experience that I have. Well, Jorge, I know that you're still processing a very big decision. Thank you so much for talking through it with me, and I'm excited to see what you'll do next. Well, thank you for having me, and I really do appreciate the opportunity to you know to share more about um, about my decision and why why I shared it publicly. Jorge A. Caballero is a former clinical instructor of anesthesia at Stanford University. If you want to learn more about what he'll be up to next in his career, you can follow him on Twitter. He's at DataDrivenMD. Thank you to King Kaufman for producing this episode and to you for listening.